How's it going everybody? This is Martin Stokes here. And this is Dane Scurry. And I am a traveller. And I am a countryman. Welcome to a traveller and a countryman podcast. You missed the fact that I want a good laugh. No matter who we're driving here, no matter who we're tagging. So today is our uh, 29 podcast, yeah. And we're here with the one and only Sparky Stokes. Is that okay? That'll do. You don't mind. You're an honorary Your member Corcoran, of the Pavis. Which I think is a traveller name. Corcoran. Corcoran, which I think is Corcoran a traveller name. Corcoran is a traveller name. There you go. Actually, you know you, but I didn't know you. John, John Connor said to me one day that he never met a, he never met a country person called Corcoran before. No. Um, I can honestly say that I didn't know you were Cor- I didn't know your name was Corcoran. I will tell you this, right? My father's people lived in Kildare, and they were travellers, right? They weren't travellers like yourself, right? They were travelling workers. Right. So they were... There was lots of Corcorans, uh, and they lived in a place called Black Trench. That that's where they stayed for the winter, and then they would have travelled around farms all around Kildare. And then Guinnesses came in and asked them all to come and work for Guinnesses when they set the Guinnesses factory up. So they all came in. They worked in Guinnesses, and they lived all around Eustace Street, all around the Tenters, all around that area. You know. Yes. And uh, yeah, so we were, we were travellers as such. Now I went down to Black Trench, and I met I met a man down there who. Who kind of gave me the the history? His name is Boots Corcoran. He told me the history of of the Corcorans in Kildare. There you of go. The, let's say the travellers are just yeah, the name. Where travellers like yourself? You, you, you know what I'm talking about. Those you didn't live in caravans. Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. They, uh, when they were in Black Trench, they lived in canvas pulled over branches. Yeah. No, you're going back. Tents. Yeah, tents. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. Were travellers with wattles? Yeah. No, no. I think there's a difference. I know there is a difference, but there's also no difference. No, there is a difference. Martin's people are ethnically travellers. I don't think we're, we were ethnic travellers. No. Don't think so. I think there's something lost in it. I think they were working, they were out travelling, they were Irish, they were in Ireland, they were travellers. Because I remember listening to stuff about lads who were working on the canals and all that. Yeah, navvies. Mm. And their whole thing reminded me of the same. This is that we've put some kind of fucking 20th century label on it, calling them travellers. They were just Irish workers travelling around working, and everybody was that. Okay, so there's people that lived on boats. They were barges. They barges. Were, they, were more, they were more English. The Americans have them ones, the carnies, that done all the carnivals. There's carnies in Ireland as well. There's obviously, you know, uh, in the travelling community, there are fair, fair people, isn't there, Martin? Yeah. So the likes of the Packer done and all that, they were like fair people. They were, they would have travelled to fairs and, and then there was, there was tinkers, there was people who went around mending pots and well, all that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, the people with the fairs would have been always on the road, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where the travellers now, they have, of course, settled down a lot, but uh, earlier on in the years, they would have moved for a while, maybe stay in a spot for a while, but that, that, there was no telling how long they'd be in, in, a, in, a, in a spot like yeah. It could be three years or two years or whatever length of time in a spot like that yeah. there. And you see, when I so was a there child, is differences in, in certain little ways, yeah. I grew up in Coolock and there was always travellers around us. So there was an area called the Orchard. So where my mother and father's housing estate was, was built on an old estate. It was Woodville Estate. So the house is still there, still standing. And there would have been the lodge and that would have been a little sweet shop when we were kids. And then there was the orchard belonged to the old estate and there was a, a well in there and we used to go in and play in there as kids. But travellers used to come there. It was a traditional travellers stopping place, like, you know? Is that that big house beside where your ma's was? Like, it was on a big plot of land. I used to go in there and get high when I was young. Like. That's right. That's, that's, that's called Woodville House. So that was the original house. But they had an orchard and travellers used to stop in the orchard. I was lucky in a sense. My father was very uh, communist-minded or socialist-minded or 
union minded. He was a union organizer, you know, and he was very, very open minded. So when travelers came to our door, when, when, when we used to play with travelers when we were kids, my ma would give out jam and bread to everybody. Everybody got jam and bread. Yeah. And we didn't differentiate, you know, between, obviously we knew that travelers were different, you know what I mean? And that's, but, but there was an equality amongst everybody. With, me, with my mother and father, everybody was treated the same, you know? And I kind of grew up with that. And then I remember hearing the negative stuff, you know, when I was in secondary school and stuff like that, and I started hearing the negative stuff. I didn't really get it because for us, when the car was broke, we'd go up to Paddy Joyce and we'd get parts, you know what I mean? And my dad sit there and he'd have a cup of tea with Paddy and a chat and they'd be swapping uh, horses, you know, like, uh, you know, for the bookies, like, you know, what, uh, giving each other tips, like tips. They were swapping, yeah. they'd be swapping tips and all Tips on the GGs. Now I'd be Martin, I'd be left pulling the bits off the car, like, you know what I mean? My dad would have Paddy, you know? <laughs> so to me, growing up uh, amongst travellers and around travellers and all that kind of stuff, then when I came up to Ballymun to you know to get involved in the U club, there was always travellers come over, you know, yeah. and um, so to, you know with us, yes, okay, there are differences. We are, I mean, ethnically we're different. Yeah. It's no, that's grand, but I never had that go away. You know what I mean? You know that kind of you know you know go that, move shift. I never had it. So when I heard it, I didn't understand. When I heard the song "Go Move, move Shift," I didn't understand. I didn't get it either because we. I remember. Being a young fella in Ballymoon with you, and we used to get scrap, used to teach us how to get scrap bits off some of the travellers to make a little engine work. And we put the engine on uh, a bed frame and we'd make a go kart out of it. You were very kind of hands on, resourceful, and you Still knew. Up. You Still used up. to bring us up the buzzy up in Dunsink Lane and all. And there was almost a traveller on the end of every long road in Ballymoon with that, you know, dealt in cars and scrap and that type of stuff. That was kind of my. My childhood joy with kind of travellers was we go over there and we get a bit of bleeding, uh, a bit of mechanicing off them for something, and there was a couple of spark plugs or you get the and thing off that, that motor. And the return then was that we had the pool table in the basement, and today, even up to today, there's lots of young travellers who are mad about pool, they're mad about playing pool and snooker right. and stuff like that. And it's something that I, that, that I love to see. And I remember there was a fella who lived at the top of Sanctuary Lane there. And they, they were all great pool players. That That's family right. were great pool players, you know. I know the family you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. A long time talking about them the other day. So Martin started by introducing the episode, introducing Sparky. Uh, yeah. It's Sparky, Ray Corcoran, Ballymun, youth worker, community worker for the last 40 years. Nearly 40 years, actually. Yeah, next year will be 40 years. Uh, 39 years into in, in 2023. I started down in Kilock. I ended up in a youth club one night. And I had what I can only uh, explain as a spiritual awakening. I walked through the door of this place and I immediately knew I was at home. You know, this youth club wasn't, um, it wasn't a very normal youth club. Like, you know what I mean? It was in a house on the main road. They had, they were interested in young people getting into computers and getting into mechanics and getting into all that kind of stuff. So we were mad into, you were mad into BMX at the time, Dan, and we would have, we would have kind of, uh, through that youth club, I came out to Ballymun, and Dean Dean was a member of of the club when uh, when I came out. And uh, we were doing a bit, we were doing a bit of everything. One of the things that got me in was a bit of boxing. So it was boxing that was gloves. Hugo, yeah. We used to stand up on the school stage in St Joseph's School Hall and do a bit of boxing. And John McCrane was in there, and he was boxing everyone. And I went in with like a Rocky Bilbao uh, Apollo Creed move, where I swung my arm around in a big three sixty and let my other hand go. 
gave him a bloody nose and legged it. And I went, I'm not going back to that fucking youth centre. But my brother was in it. And my brother said, no, come on down. And then I went, I went in and you were sitting in the corner of it with tools around you, banging stuff. And there was a smell of oil and a smell of grease. And you were just fixing stuff and making stuff. And I fell in love with that. We cycled down to... Um Ballyknockin Ballyknockin was a house that we had access to in the Dublin Wicklow Mountains actually the priest that married me owned or lived in that Father Frank he was born in Red his father was the quarry manager there and there was a river up there called the King's River and I used to spend me youth up there with you and with me dad hanging out Martin we had some crack when we were younger you know we really had and we really made use of the surrounding you know, our surroundings and... The outdoors. The outdoors, and we loved the canals, loved the rivers, the sea, all that kind of stuff, and we were always very... As a child, I was very, very... Butterf- I was like a butterfly. I was always going from, you know, different places, different places. Yes. I was never stood still, you know, so I was I was blessed with joining that youth club down in our town. was called the Anchor Club. I was blessed meeting those people. I was blessed coming up, up to Ballymoon, and then... I kind of had a, another awakening there where I wanted to be a youth worker. Now, I was originally wanted to be an electrician. That's where the sparky thing came from. I would have done very well. I have a singing gills in that. Like, you know what I mean? I would have done well at that. I remember getting really high marks. I made a... I wore the house. I, there was a board in the in the school and I had to wear the house, you know, cooker switch and do, do loops, you know, socket loops and things loops. And I made it and it was funny... Did you ever do something where you just you just kind of put your head into it and then you walk away from it and you look at it and you kind of go, did I do that? You know what I mean? And that's what it was like. I done it and I remember getting really high marks for it and thinking, this is going to be my future. And then I found the youth clubs and then I realised, no, that's what I want to do. I want to be a youth worker. Yes, very good. You're very mechanically minded. You remind me of Martin a lot. He's very mechanically minded. But he's also very community minded. And I was thinking, what are we going to sp- talk to Sparky about? There's loads of stuff we could talk to him about. You know what I mean? Ballymoon, running as a Sinn Féin counsellor, music, uh, Ballymoon in the 80s, any of that type of stuff. But the one of the things that I got from you was an addiction to community. And that's why I'm hanging out with Martin. Because I got addicted to hanging out up in the travelling community and just learning... Learning the bits and bobs of another group of people in, in my own community that for fucking 30 years I kind of didn't even know. Yeah. When I came up, back up to work up on Poppentry, it was very, you know, there was a big mix of travellers and settled kids together, you know, and uh, and it was great. And I would be one of the, I suppose, one of the youth workers that would go on really, really well with, Especially with the traveller lads, because we'd have the crack, you know. Yes, very good. Mixing and jiving and having the having a laugh, like you yeah, know. Yeah, all about. And the other thing that I'm mad into is music, and a lot of the traveller lads love music. You know, I'm not saying that I don't. You know, have there was a lot of young traveller girls come in, and they were mad into arts and crafts. You know what I mean? And that wouldn't be my thing. You know what I mean? So they would have, you know, went into baking and stuff like that. And I'm not. You know, I do bake and I do cook, but that wouldn't be my thing up there. You know, but. Now we have a load of young travellers in and uh, we have a big group of them there and they're brilliant and they're mad at the music. So yeah. I'd be I'd be playing ballads. I'd be trying to get them to listen to other balladeers. So they'd be into the Furies, they'd be into... But they've introduced me to loads of stuff, like, you know what I mean? And to, you know, the Whistling Donkeys and all these people like, that I never heard before. <laughs> oh, what's the Whistling Donkeys? Whistling Donkeys are a group. <laughs> Do you know them, Martin? 
So you would, you'd know the song, they, they sing Sunny, you know. No, go on, give us a bar. They do, they do a version of Sunny. Well, that's a good song, but a lot of people sing that, don't they? I know, but these, these do a version. It's kind of a bit quicker. It's kind yes. of more modern. It's a modern. What's the song? What's Sunny? So, you know, Sunny Don't Go Away. Yeah, I'm here all along. Yeah. Mary Black would have sang ah, it. Years ago, but she, what happened is, is that it's an old American song, actually. I, I, only, I only recently found this out. There's a song called The Lakes of Pontchartrain, right? And people would know that as an American song. But when they looked into the history of it, its roots are in Ireland. So the the root of the song was written about Ireland. And then when the Irish travelled, they would have changed the names of it then. So Sonny uh, would have had Irish roots. It sang in, America, in an American tradition. But then when Mary Black and Christy Moore started singing it, they sang it, the American words, in an Irish tradition. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it would have been on the radio in the 80s and 90s. Sunny, don't go away, I'm here all alone. That's a pure traveller song. That's it, and the travellers <laughs> love it. And young traveller, and that's the one thing with young travellers is, is that they're around that kind of music all the time at That's home. right, yeah. It would have been true for years and years like that, listening to that kind of music there. Like it's a Foster and Allen now, and anything to do with country, mm. it, would, it would have been... Uh, Almost every traveller would nearly know them. Like, Speck, you know. He can't wash his hands for singing the song. Morning, noon, and night, all he's doing, he reminds me of you. He's singing the song. He's coming up with some mad song I've never heard of in my life. And he won't shut up singing it. I'd be saying oh, to the... Sonny, oh, <laughs> I'd be saying to the traveller kids, uh, why do you call us country people when you listen to country music? Yeah. And they'd, be, they'd be having the laugh with me, you know. But, uh, but they love all that. They love Jolene. And, you know, so if I'm in the minibus, I get them... I get them singing. And then if I have country lads in in, in the minibus, I play the music. That, and, you know, it's funny enough, there's one of the lads comes in and he uses the decks, you know, he's a great he's a great lad on the, on the, on the decks. He was playing music on the minibus and all, they were all singing and having the crack, you know. Nice. And then next thing somebody says, play Eminem. And he started playing Eminem and it just brought the vibe right down, you know. And I said to him, you know, your your job is to keep the vibe going, you know. Yeah. Was it because maybe some of them didn't know the words of the song probably? Well, it wasn't that. It was just, it was, it was the tempo of the song and the nature. Like, so when you're out on the bus, we say with Traveller, with Traveller lads, right? Yeah. And you throw on Sunny and then you throw on Campfire and, you know, and then all those kind of stuff. They'll sing along and they'll have to laugh and you keep yeah, the tempo. Yeah, but a lot of the, the young... Uh, a lot of the young travellers now are listening to a lot of all this pop music and rap music as well. and, they, and, and, and a lot of that but, stuff. But I think young people now, the way that young people listen to music now is very, they have a very eclectic type of, they're very broad, you know what I mean? So they listen to a country song, they will listen to Lou Kelly, they listen to the Dubliners, they listen to Damien Dempsey, they will listen to Maverick Sabre. But they'll also listen to rave music, rap yeah, music. Yeah, yeah, picking their choices. And see, yeah, and so they're very, very, it's very broad. Whereas when I was a kid, I was a punk, and I only listened to punk music. Don't forget, there's more um, there's more access to different types of music now than what there would be years ago anyway. That's it. So years ago, even before CDs, if you had a tape uh, of some singer that you liked, you treasured it. Do you know what I mean? You didn't have you, you, that, was, that was the tape you had, and that was it. Mm. Or you get these sometimes recorded ones from somebody else. I recorded from another cassette, basically. Right, yeah. Do you remember the two, uh, this, they were called the stereo with the two cassette decks in it? Damn. It was great, wasn't it? So I used to record one to the other. Music was more of a treasure then than what it is now, as far as Do I know. Do you remember this one, recording off the radio? Off the radio, yeah, putting the, <laughs> putting the stereo up close to the radio. <laughs> and maybe even waiting for that song to come on. The thing was to try and get the button off 
before your man, yeah, your man right. was taught you the DJ. I used yeah. to remix uh, off the radio or record onto a tape and remix. So I'd wait for the song to come around. Like Batman was one. Remember that one? It was a Batman remix. And I used to record and I'd get like quarter of a, uh, a bar and then I'd wait for the song to come on again on the radio station and I'd get the same quarter of a bar and you'd have a little Batman, Batman, Batman remix on it. I'd spend so, hours doing that. So I used so I used to, this is this was one thing that I used to do and it was, it was uh, and it wasn't when I was a kid now, but it was, I used to play, I used to love a certain DJ, so I used to love Donald and Ian, right? And I used to record his show on a, on a C ninety, and I'd only pause it for the for the for the ads, you know. I could nearly remember ten songs in a row yeah. that was on that tape because I played it that much. Like, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would have grown up around a lot of music. My mother's family were big into music, so they were big into accordions and all that kind of stuff and singing. Yellow bird, a pie in banana tree. All them songs, you know. And then my <laughs> ma, and then my ma would have been on variety shows with you know the women's groups and all that kind of stuff, and we would have heard loads of songs, you know. But then I was into punk music. My mates were into ska music. My other mates were into mod music. One of my sisters was listening to pop music. One of my sisters was listening to Led Zeppelin. So I was surrounded by music. There was music everywhere. And even today, look, I went over to buy some vinyl today over at a, at a vinyl fair, like, you know. And I was rooting through the boxes and I was finding albums for people that I knew. I was like, oh, Jason had liked that, you know, and I was getting them. And I'd that. say our balls were tingling, looking, getting the bleeding, the cracker of an album in a, in a little <sighs> box somewhere. It doesn't, you see, the thing is, people think that that there's an album out there that's worth, they're not, they're not worth that yeah. much money, you know what I mean? Like, but not even that, but just, to, I remember going and digging in record shops in towns for hours and it'd be just like, listen to this. You'd stick it on in the record shop and you'd just get a little tingle through your body going, my God. Yeah, I remember uh, listening. I remember hearing songs for the first time that absolutely blew my mind, and still to this day blow my mind when I listen to them. So the Glastonbury song by the Waterboys, the minute I hear it, I just go, "Oh yes, it's just it's one of them songs that that one blew Monday." Yeah, that's great. I love that. I was in Ackle during COVID, and it was this pub, and it was a ramshackle of a pub. This fella had the old glowing bulb disco lights from the 80s that if you touched them you'd scald the bleeding leg off yourself yeah. he had them up in the corner he had a strobe light he had a little Santi going around on a record player and he said just come in and pick up whatever record you want and put it on anybody could in the pub it was bleeding deadly that was yeah. the whole vibe I was sitting there for about two hours sculling points going through bleeding records and Blue Monday came up and I looked at him and he goes yeah stick that one on and the place went fucking nuts but you're right, Martin. Young people have great access to music through YouTube and Spotify and uh, SoundCloud and all these things. So there's massive choices now for the music, isn't there? Yeah, and it's mad the music that they that they go back to because they go back to '90s dance music. Yeah, and then they like I remember when I was a teenager, people were going back to '60s music, you know. And there's a, but what I find now is, is that we're not really in Dublin. Like, there's not there's not a big interest in new music. You know, there's not an interest in wanting to hear a new song. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's no. Well, it all depends. Saying, like, it all depends what people are bringing out. Like, isn't it really? But you don't you don't hear young people saying, "I'm going into town to see a band." Yeah, that's you know, right. When even when we were kids, Martin, like, or when we were younger, you go and see the Wolf Towns, or you go and see the Furies, or you go and see 
different bands, and like when bands come over from England, you go and see bands. Now you, you is there a big uh, is there a big selection of that now at the moment? Yeah, I think in Dublin at the moment is like. DJs remixing cracker tunes from the nineties, like yeah. Belters Only or Jay Cullen, or they they're doing yeah, that yeah. type of stuff. And I think the only new music that I'd be into here in Dublin, say someone like Maverick. Yeah, the young people love Maverick now. He's an, he has a new song coming out, deadly. It's going to be cracker. I guarantee it's going to be cracker. Love your man Jordan McCann from Manchester. He's yeah. he's, a, he's a rapper. He has some good things to say, like you know. But in Dublin. You never hear, you know, like somebody saying, I'm going in to see a group of young people from Ballymoon. Like we say, like Aslan, you know what I mean? I remember going to see Aslan in a little pub on Bolton Street, you know, when I was about 14 or 15, you know? Yes. You've got a good example of it. It's a, a band called Brick Nasty. Really? Jonathan Ambrose, he's from Ballymoon. Yeah. They're that band that are out there making that new music and Did playing me. in little shitholes in the middle of nowhere Did and me. just killing it. Them. Stick them on any stage in any room anywhere in the world. Yeah, man's from Ballymun from the Bladen Flats. Yeah, very good. And it's rock, it's hard, it's it's melodic. But what is good is that folk music is kind of making a return. Like you have, you know, the likes of the Mary Wallopers and all that are playing music, you know what I mean? And you know, so there's a lot of But it's hard to beat the other stuff though, isn't it? Like even Christmas time now, I know we're in Christmas now, say, but even Christmas time now on the say the TV, even the kids are selecting. Um, they're selecting all old stuff, all old Christmas songs. I don't think there's even much new stuff anyway in the Christmas. Uh, uh, the odd pop song, all right, basically. There's neither head nor tails to them, but the old Christmas songs. There's, there's literally a story in the song, and all you ever see now is on the on the T-shirt that that uh, fairy tale of New York now. Like, that's a top-of-the-range song for Christmas. Absolutely. And it's still the most played song. And it's a story. Up to today, it's the most played It's the most played Christmas yeah. song yeah. in history, yeah. And it's, and you have Shaken Steve, Stevens. He had a couple of Christmas songs. He heard you, yeah. Absolutely brilliant. And they get played up to the, up to today. And they're, they're, uh, they're like 40 years old. The same yeah. songs are in the 80s, basically. 82 and 83. I got my and old yes, piano on the green door. And they're still, uh, they're still top hits today on the on the TV, basically. So there's no, uh, there is not a lot of good, especially Christmas songs, there's not a lot of good stuff today. I'm not saying that there's no new music being produced, but there doesn't seem to be an appetite for it. Yeah. I'm dying to get him out to a gig. I invite him to see Dempsey and invite him oh, to see Maverick. And it. I think that that will that'll be a breakthrough moment for him when he sees Dempsey in somewhere like Vicar Street or the Ivy Gardens, and he'll go, "Oh, that's that's the thing that Dean is talking about. Yeah. That's the thing that the Dubliners had, or that the Furies had." Oh, Dempsey has something very unique. It's not pub drinking songs; it's it's more spiritual. But there is that energy in it when he plays. You know, when he does his version of the Raglan Road, you connect back to that big Irish. That's the tread. I mean, that that is the tread. The tread is. That he comes from that, you know, that he, he comes from that tradition. So he looks back to that. But what 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 Damien did was he started writing songs when he was sixteen and they were like crackers. Like he has a song called You're Not in Your Own Tonight and he wrote it when he was sixteen. Yeah. He wrote a song called The Colony and what happened was his ma said to him one day, I was up with your nanny and she said you wrote a song about her and he's like, No, I didn't and she says, Well you better write one because she thinks you wrote one. So he started writing a song for his nanny, Annie. And then he, he so he's singing about her. And the, the original name of the song was Annie from Dunlavin. And then he said, I better include the other nanny. 
and then I better include the, the granddads, you know. And then as he was writing it, he realised all those people were born under British rule, you know, in a colony, you know. So that's where he says, I sing a song of the colony how many years and we're still not free because we're still under it. I mean, our, our country still, you know, a quarter of our country is still colonised, you know. And so, so he took the tradition of the ballads and he kind of put a modern twist on it, like, you know. Yes. So, I mean, even the songs that he does, like he does well, a great, great song. That he's still carrying on the ballads though, isn't it? Yeah. And he does it in that tradition and he's able, I mean, the shows are magic, man. You have to go in. You have to go and see them. Yeah, I'd like to go there sometime. Dean asked me a few times to go over sure that yeah. the time is not right. What we do is if you get him on the podcast, I'll go through his. <laughs> well, you get him on the podcast. Ask you him. get him on the podcast. Ask I'll, him I'll there go now. This will be a love letter to Damien. Dear Damien, we're at the bleeding. Tell him the whole world about you. You're amazing. Uh, Come and sit down and have a bleeding ching with me and Martin. Yeah, and we'll get nice. him to one of your gigs. It'd be a bit of cracker, right, wouldn't it? So, Sparky, um, Ballymoon, youth work, sparking, mechanicking. One of the one of the reasons I kind of stay in touch with you is is uh, swimming in the sea as well. It's one of the it's one of the gifts that I think that this city has given both of us. It's kind of kept us quite fit and 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 young. You know what I mean? And bleeding happy, going and jumping in the sea. And uh, you know Dempsey is is someone that me you know me you and him had gone swimming in the sea for the last twenty or thirty years. And when we met him, that was one of the things that we had in common, and that's how we 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 kept in touch with him was true, that's the sea swimming. But I, I was trying to, I was thinking the other day, I wonder when, I remember making my way down to the spot in Balscadden, you know, where we used to climb down these rocks, and it used to be safe, when we were kids, it was safe, or there was a, a direct route down to it. I remember seeing, there was like an old bats there, an old swimming place, and we used to climb down these old steps that have disappeared into the sea through erosion. Now, and it had, disappeared 20 years now at this stage but we used to go down to those bats and then we used to go down to uh, Balscadden and swim there and I I can I can genuinely say I learned to swim there like I remember we used to run a swimming in the old bats in Ballymoon we ran a we ran a swim with a man called Con Rainey who was a legend in Ballymoon and we used to give him a hand to run this Monday night club and then poor El Khan uh, retired, and then he passed away. And we 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 kept it going. We we taught an awful lot of people how to swim, but we kind of I remember learning to swim in the pool, but uh, but then getting me strength in the sea by going out out to Balscadden, like you know. A couple of years ago, probably two years ago, you brought a couple of young traveller lads oh, down stop. to Balscadden. Not to Balscadden, to the High Rock. Stop. Uh, <laughs> I won't mention their names because I might like to show you out them now. But one of them seeing the water and it was like, it was like a little uh, pier. It was about 200 foot long and then there's about a 10 foot drop and one of them just seen the water and ran down the pier and jumped into the water. That now. So what happened was is that when they were going down they were in the van and they were saying I'm going to jump off first and I'm going to jump off first and I'm going to it's going to be me and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I was like right lads you just need to get into wetsuits when we get down here and blah blah blah, blah you know and but when they got there there was two young girls just the same age as them at the at the ladder, you know, and they got chatting to them. And one of them got a bit excited, you know, because, you know, the girls were chatting to them and all that kind of stuff. And he said, I'm going to jump in. But he just jumped in in his clothes and his runners and the whole thing. 
and he wasn't able to swim with his clothes on him. So he panicked. And lucky enough, me and Dean would have good experience, you know, with, with that kind of stuff. And we were able to, to fish him out, like, you know. He didn't realise he was overstepped. You didn't know? realise he was jumping into the Irish Sea. You know what I mean? Because it looks like sometimes when you go down there, the lads know what they're doing. Everyone's just diving in and there's bleeding. Yeah, I don't think they expected to be so cold and so deep. There was another friend of ours uh, from New York came over and uh, we jumped off the same spot, you know. So we are all diving in and... And a bonnet host, like, you know, and it was absolutely freezing. And he jumped in, and next thing he started doing, we thought he was doing the butterfly stroke, you know. So Dave was like, <laughs> Dave was like, that's impressive, isn't it? You know, the butterfly stroke. Why would he do that one? And I said, the time why he's drowning. <laughs> and now, luckily enough, I was standing with a towel over me, and I was able to walk down the ladder and throw the towel out to him, and he came in, you know. He, he went crazy, <laughs> you know, that New York Brooks and Maxon. What the fuck are you guys bringing are me down here going? for? I nearly drowned here. I'm drowning. Yeah, so the swimming has been great. You're right, Dan. I think, you know, getting close to nature and uh, bringing, you know, connecting young people with nature has been an amazing tool in the youth work that, that I, you know, that I've been involved in delivering with a great group of people in, in, in this area. And there's lots of people in this area committed to, you know, working with young people. And uh, people think sometimes that you have to spend a lot of money to get young people on board. And in reality, a lot of young people just love going out into the outdoors. And, you know, like even yesterday I was coming down on Christmas Day, I came up to the, I was at the leaving a present in, in, in work. Somebody gave me something and I left it in my locker and work and I had to go into work. And I met two traveller young fellas and they, they were like all in their Christmas gear, you know what I mean? They were all, and they just said, and he bikes, and I said, lads, this is the time of year you're going to get the bikes. This is the time where people buy their kids new bikes and they yes. put the old ones out on the road, yes. which is true, like, you know. That's right. And within five minutes, I had two bikes for the lad. <laughs> and it was just, it was just, I turned the corner and I just seen these two bikes lying against the back. And I knew I went up and there's soft wheels and I said, right, pump the wheels. I went up and the two lads went off as happy. And, Very good. you know, uh, and I love that. I think because when I was a kid, we got nothing new. Like <laughs> everything was a, came out of a skip or, or like even uh, I seen two young fellas in the park yesterday in Pottery Park, and they were on a bike with the steel wheels, you know, yeah. <laughs> and they were having the crack, like you know. And I was saying that that is deadly to make fun out of free things is yeah, great, you know, because of nothing to do. A lot of a lot of young people are connecting to. They need Belenji agates. To think they need everything well, they, to be happy. Okay, yeah. there's that. That's fashion. There's always been fashion. But connection to the internet, they need Steam or something like that or some kind of package to get them connected to games and that. So there's that, right? I, I think, like I remember bringing a group of young people up to the snow, you know, up in yeah. Wicklow Mountains, right? And it blew their mind. They kept saying, even during the summer, can we go up to the snow? I was like, no, that's a different season but we did bring them up to rivers and trees and uh, lighting fires and cooking on the fires and all that kind of stuff and loved it always loved it and you know it's very very simple and then, then you can go out to swim in the sea you can you know there's lots of things that you can do in nature that young people absolutely are you know one of the things that you introduced me to as I got a bit older in my life because I've known you since I was about 10, 11, 12 in Ballymoon when it was the black and white days we were off bleeding getting high and robbing factories and it was mental it was a different era 
But as I became an adult, one of the things that you showed me really simple was a thing that you'd call a ball of chalk, which was, let's go out to Hoth and go for a walk up the side of a bleeding cliff for an hour or so yeah. and just chinwag, just chat, just bleeding. Done it the other day, yeah. I've passed it on to other people going, all you have to do is just do this. Meet me down the beach and we'll go on a walk for fucking two hours. It doesn't have to be a big fucking convoluted thing. Yeah, there's great walks around Dublin, like Hoth, starting in Deer Park, Car Park, and just going up. Like when we were kids, right, my dad, my dad still plays golf, but he used to love playing golf, and he used to take us on a Saturday up to Deer Park, and he'd go off and do 18 holes and leave us in the car, like, you know, and then we would just go off up that hill. I'd done that walk, the Deer Park one, up the hill with uh, Damo and Jonathan Ernesto a couple of weeks ago, and I hadn't seen Jonathan since his brother had passed away. Yeah, since when? Yeah, no, it was man. fucking a lot for him. And as soon as we got out of the car park and onto the trail up to the deer park, he just opened up. He just went, yeah. this is where I'm at, that's where I'm at, and this, I miss my brother, and da 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 yeah. And it's just something about being out there. Being in nature. Yeah. In the nature of it. There's a dolman up there. There's a dolman. I call, yeah. I call, call them like a portal to the bleeding, to the fairies, to the next yeah, so dimension. There was a guy with us, and he was saying that the rocks that are there are not native to that area, you know? So... And I was saying, I was, I was joking, Martin. I was saying that was probably a lump of the cliff fell off and tumbled down the hill and yes. landed on those three rocks. Right? <laughs> they were like, yeah, that actually sounds grand sparky, but that rock is not native to this area. So now I don't know how true that is. I'm not a genealogist. Do you know what? Uh, I just I know it's a twist in the story here. Do you know what I see now here? And um, it's on beside the gates there, where they knocked down them flats. Yeah, there's a big plaque there. Yeah. And it's, um, it says the ghosts of Ballymun. Yeah, it's like a haunted trail of Ballymun. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't. I didn't read through it. it was, I just give it a brief look. What does it say, Martin? The ghost. The ghost of Ballymun. The ghost trail of Ballymun. Well, can I ask you a question? And I know. Do you believe in ghosts? Um, well, I want to, again, Dean asked me before. Right? Here, he has a cracker answer for this. He has the best answer I've ever had of any question from any person, dead or alive, man, woman, or child. So, Martin, do you believe I in ghosts? I don't believe in ghosts, but I know they're out there. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't believe this in Dean. Is, this is the Neanderthal yeah. juvenility I have to deal with. This I don't believe in this ghosts. This is a weird one, but I don't believe in Dean, but I know he's out there. Right. So, I don't believe I in ghosts, but I know they're out there. So I used to think, right, when they were knocking the flats down, right, because I knew there was ghosts in them flats, right? Up did you ever see any of that? I did see, I did see things, but I was talking to, I was talking to my mate Callie today, and we were talking about spirituality, right, and he was like, explain that, and I said, I can't explain spirituality in words, in colours, in anything like that, it's a, it's a different thing. It's right? absolutely, yeah, it's hard. It's completely hard. different. It's like a mystery. It's a mystery, right, it's dead, right, and I think that our friend... John died eight years ago this week, right? And I kept hearing these. He was a painter. He he painted pictures. He was an amazing artist, you know? And he was a great friend to us. And But as he was dying, he was dying of cancer, you know, when he was in the in the latter months of his life, I kept hearing this line, go now and paint the sky. It was in my head. I could feel this, go now and paint the sky. And I was asked to speak at his funeral. And at the very last words I said was, go now, John, and paint the sky. And that night, the whole sky lit up orange. And they were the colours that he would have used in his uh, paintings, you know? Yes. And so that feeling of 
Now, somebody, a scientist would say, well, that's got to do with the fertilization of the the monochromes coming through the sky and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. But to me, it was it was a it was like a, it was a connection. There was some connection there. Like trying to explain the beauty of a rainbow. Yeah. Using science. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're gonna you, you'll do it, but you'll waste your bleeding time because you're not yeah. connecting with the rainbow. So do you believe in ghosts, Parker? You do. Do I believe in ghosts? I do. You do. I, do believe in yeah, I know. I cut you off earlier on there about uh, you were saying when the flats are getting knocked. You say something about the flats. So open the flats, right? So let's say on the 14th floor there was a ghost existed. In that space up there, right? right? When they knocked the flats down, did the ghost still exist to occupy the space up in the sky? Did he stay there or did he move with the with the materials? There you go. Did he did he come down with the materials or did he stay in that space? And was he, he there because the space I was think, there? I think he was in something. No, I don't think he stood there. I think he would have been in something that was uh, maybe in the flat or something that was installed in the flat or brought into the flat. I'd say he's... Uh, I remember when they knocked down the Balcourus uh, flats, the Balcourus lads were still standing there for about 14 years later. <laughs> <laughs> still so, selling. <laughs> so, yeah, and I don't think that all spirits are negative. Um, I think that sometimes... Somebody said to me, you know, energy never... En- energy doesn't end. It just changes, you know? You know, you have the water heated. You know, you have water on the ground. is heated and it goes up and it becomes cloud. Cloud then becomes rain, rain then becomes rivers, rivers then become people, you know. So That's uh, exactly what my mate said to me the other day. He was trying to explain to me, where do you think we go? Or where do you think we came from? And he said, the way I see it is, and this fella is very kind of esoteric, spiritual, into mysticism and all that. And he said, he said, now I'm starting to feel as a 50-year-old man that you just change from water into gas, into, you know what I mean, into different states. Mm. You know, I'm like one drop of water. And while I'm here, I'm one drop of water. Mm. And then I'll be absorbed into the big bleeding ocean in the sky. Very bleeding esoteric. We're only 40 minutes in. We're already talking no, about No, but the thing, is, the thing is, so I think sometimes I've heard this, this said before. And, I, you know, part of me would say, ah, that's a load of shit. Like, you know, whatever, that's a load of crap or whatever. I do think that, that sometimes I knew somebody who died a year ago, and she was an absolute non-believer. Her family were non-believers, complete non-believers in any kind of thing, spiritual or anything, anything beyond this. Okay, you know what I mean? so were, believed in nothing, basically. Believed yes. in nothing. Uh, atheist or, or... Atheist, yeah. And they were very, very much. And then when, when, when that woman died, they said that they could feel her energy in the house still, you know. Now, I don't know whether that's... Okay, you know, when people die... We remember their sayings, you know what I mean? You yeah. remember, ah, oh, didn't Granny used to say this? So you remember them, you know what I mean? So their energy is still witchy as such, like, you know what I mean? But they were saying it was another thing. It was an energy, you know, that 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 they felt uh, they felt her around the place, like, you know? Yes. And I get that, like, you know what I mean? So it's very hard to explain that, as I said, in words, colours, you know, or something like that. If you want to explain that through science, you're going to come across as a fucking nut job. But if you want to explain that through humanity and spirituality and feelings and love and memories, that's the language that that's for. And maybe that's what a ghost is. A ghost is, is just the energy that we have. So when I'm, you know, when I'm talking about John and the sky and all that kind of stuff, it, was that just a coincidence? Is that, you know, whatever, you know, but something happened within me 
you know, something definitely connected me to that moment, like, you know. I remember when a mate of mine passed away and I'd seen his face on the face of other men for about two years because yeah. I wanted him. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? I, it, was, it was a hard thing for me to deal with. I, yeah. you know, I was 30 odd years of age and one of my best mates had passed away. And, yeah, yeah. Um, I'd seen his face. I, you know what I mean? And I was reading a bit too much into it. And now I just think they're all here. They're all here, right mm. here. For me, that's where that's where it is. They're not going anywhere. They don't go anywhere. Their their energy doesn't go anywhere other than right here, right now. And you can tap into that if you want at moments when you need it or when you benefit from, like that family there. They probably needed that right bleeding there and then. Yeah. That connection. Sometimes we're up our own arse too much and we're just in our own lives to realise that it's right here. Probably chances are everybody thinks in different ways anyway. In a sense where, like as he said there, he feels that his friend was there. Other people obviously know that they're not there. Other people then can feel their presence in their houses or wherever they live, basically. So I guess everyone has a different experience, a different story about it, like, haven't they? So but if no, you look uh, at... There's no real and true answers to all of this, is there? Well, if you look at, okay, when a person is alive and they're, you know, there's an energy from those people, like, and then when they pass... What's left is a, is a body that that rots, okay? But there was that energy, that spirit or whatever, and I, I just wonder, how can that just end? You know, that's what I think, you know? Maybe it's not a real thing. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's just a, maybe it does end. I don't know. And that's, say, that's the mystery, know. isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's, but also that's kind of, for me, is the grace or the joy is being open to exploring or feeling that. You know what I mean? And going, because you can be closed-minded, closed-heart, you can be right. Science, if science doesn't prove to me that, you know, dragons existed, I'm never going to fucking believe in a dragon. But, stranger fucking things have happened. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, Mar like, Martin is a very religious person. He would travel religiously on pilgrimages to places like Medjugorje, where you've got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people going to see a thing that somebody said that they saw. And if you would take it as face value, they're all fucking nuts. Or else, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. You know what I mean? Both yeah. of those things, I think, are kind of true at exactly the same time. Well, it's all, it all depends what you want to believe. Sometimes you don't have to, you don't have to see, see to actually believe. Um, I know in a sense what Dean is talking about there about religion and doesn't mean we have to uh, to actually have to see something to know that is there or not there. It's the same thing with someone telling you a story. You either believe it or you don't. But just because you didn't see something happening or you didn't see a person or whatever it might, whatever the case might be, doesn't mean you don't uh, you don't have to believe that it didn't happen. If it makes any sense. Well, we do it all the time. We listen to stories in like songs all the time and we believe them straight away. I believe in God. Uh, have you asked me, have I ever seen God? No. Do I know he exists? Yes, of course. You've Why? never seen a ghost, but you believe Because I have that faith and I believe in it. So some guy down the road here uh, tells you a story. Uh, your man says such thing or done such thing, whatever it might be. Your man it's says he's seen his dead mother walk through the living room at three o'clock in the morning. Might be. You, that's up to you if you want to believe it or not. You have your own choices. Just because you didn't see it happening, it doesn't mean it's not true. But at the same time, that's left to your choice. So that's where fate comes in in my behalf. So my fate, I remember, my fate, I remember as a kid, fate helps me to believe. The stories of fairies and banshees and all that really intrigued me. 
And then as I got a little, little bit older into my 20s and 30s, I went, right, that's just a load of nonsense. They're just myths or stories. But now, as I'm, like, I'm nearly 50 now, I'm definitely much leaning into all of that shit is real. It's hard to, uh, I know I said, like, uh, do you believe in ghosts? No, I don't believe in ghosts, but I know they're out there, right? I said that already, right? But when you hear so many stories, I've had heard stories through the years about ghosts and spirits and stuff like that. And when you hear so much of it for so many years, you sort of, you don't really want to doubt it then, do you? Everybody can't be telling lies. Like Dean tells you a story there where he's seen a ghost last night and this, well, this happened, that happened. Okay, fine. Someone else tells you a story from last week or maybe last month or six years ago. Whatever it might be. Can everybody be wrong? So it's like the whole world is telling you there is something out there. That we can't doubt every little, every complete single thing. Lads, we, we just came out of a thing called Christmas, which is the biggest one of them stories ever in the history of everything. Yes. Right? Where you've got these three stars, which were actually three kings, yeah. which actually, you know, the birth of Christ and all this type of stuff. You know what I mean? There's so many of these. Uh, and, and one man's Christ is another man's bleeding fairy tale. The whole world has just come out of a whole month of that. Yeah, well, it, it part of that it makes it a mystery, doesn't it? <laughs> it's a that's mystery. Where, yeah. That's where the mystery is, trying to work it out. But I think Christmas was winter solstice. It was, you know, there was always a, there was always a celebration around the salt, you know, the winter solstice, the summer solstice, the equinox, all those kind of things. People would have would have celebrated around those times, you know. And when you think about the winter solstice, they would have they would have gathered loads of food together, you know. Droid and salt, wherever it was, and, and then had a big had, festival, had a feast because it was dark at four o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, but it, was, like, it wasn't know. dark everywhere at four o'clock in the afternoon. It's dark in Ireland and you know, probably place a straight line across Europe. But I'm only to coming back from the Canaries. It wasn't late in winter there, it wasn't dark there. What time was it dark over there? It was like bright at seven in the morning, dark at seven o'clock at night. So if you were twenty five degrees, and that's Christmas time. To, and that's Christmas time. If you go to Australia, they would have, you know, the people, the the native people there would have had, uh, they would be very close to the land and very close to the earth, and they would have had festivities around certain things that happened there. Right now, we are very tuned into, and the whole world is tuned into European. I mean, you know, even Americanisms and all that kind of stuff. They originate in Europe, you know, like Santa Claus, St. Nicholas originates in Europe. The Christmas tree and all that kind of stuff originates in Europe. But they're, but they're images and stuff that's carried throughout the whole world, which has become very, very commercialized. But I have heard people over this Christmas saying, no, I love Christmas because... Martin is one of them. I like Christmas, but Martin loves Christmas. He mm. is Christmas. If you put a bleeding... A hat on him. He's basically Santa Claus. Christmas Traveler, crazy. Traveller Santa Claus. No, serious. I love I But the most reason I love Christmas is the coming to birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Right. That's the real and true reason why I love Christmas so much and look forward to it so much. Like I hear people saying about Christmas, ah, I hate Christmas, I don't like Christmas, ah, I can't wait till it's over. All that sort of stuff. Why have that kind of low sense of humour when you know you've got to go through it anyway? So why not make the best of it and live yourself up here a bit like and be happy about this season coming forward? But wouldn't it be great if people had that sense about everything? Well, yeah. some people, yeah, it would be, yeah, absolutely. But uh, it depends on wh- wh- what you're talking about, say, when you say everything. Christmas is a massive celebration. 
There's no mistake about that. Absolutely. And it's literally, literally for the whole world and also especially for children. Like yeah. it makes, without a doubt, it, 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 it makes probably every child on the planet happy because there's so much hype up to it. This Santa Claus thing, this morning they're going to get presents and they get all dressed up and it's absolutely everything about it. So there is, there has to be something good there, whether people believe it or not. Because oh, there's so many happy and smiley faces. People want to do good at Christmas. Like, we went into one of the soup runs there. I was asked to go in at the, the, one of the people who runs the, the soup run had no carol singer. So I got a phone call. Will you go in and sing a couple of songs? And I got five people together. We actually had great crack. We went Lovely, in. that's beautiful. So yeah. break your absolute heart to witness what's going on on our streets in Dublin in, in Dublin. terms of homelessness, right? I was going to say that, I'll get back to it in a but second. What, what happens is, is that at Christmas time, people want to help. So there is something about... The Christmas spirit. The Christmas spirit, if that's what you want to call it, right? Um, so, yeah, there's something happens. You're right, Martin. There is there's something, something magical there that has to be. And yeah. even if people can't pinpoint it, mm-hmm. even if people don't believe in Christ... Even if people if, don't believe in rainbows or ghosts, don't go, there's something, there's something bleeding magical yeah, there. Even people don't go to, if people don't don't go to mass or don't pray or don't whatever they want to do. Most people don't, Martin. Like, no, I'm know. just saying. Anyway, I'm not uh, discriminating people for this. But I'm, I'm only saying is whatever they believe in. Doesn't Christmas bring some something magical to life itself? To basically? a lot of people, right? And, and I'm sure there are people who are who are lonely, and there's people who are. Yeah, who that's are, that was a sad. That's the sad people. part about it, in a sense. But people are lonely and bleeding. Now, the other thing I was saying also, we get to, we get to that as well. Owen Keegan, he's a chief executive in the Dublin City Council. You probably know about him. And he made a statement there a couple of days ago saying that, literally telling people, stop helping the poor the poor people of Dublin streets. In other words, stop giving them sleeping bags, stop giving them tents, don't be passing them clothes, as if to say you're encouraging homelessness and also saying that um, basically in his own words that uh, these people are there by choice. Has he gone round? Did he go around Dublin and ask every, every individual person? At this moment, there's 96 people now, 96 people is a lot of people. Martin, they'd be doing Sleeping. it every year. The same week, the same type of person, you know what I mean? The same role for the last 150 years in this city. Yeah, and but not, these cities like it. These things are very annoying. Tell you what it is. At this moment, there's 96 people, right? Sleeping on the streets of Dublin. I probably have, because I'm around a long time and around this kind of stuff, I have a different opinion about homelessness, right? That wouldn't be everybody's cup yeah. of tea or everybody's opinion, right? Well, everybody and it's got to do with experience. Yeah. So I think a lot of the homelessness that we're witnessing in Dublin City, and I seen it the other night, yeah. was down to two things. One, severe addiction and two, severe mental health issues, right? Yes. And there's not many people, in my experience, right, who are homeless, who end up on the streets without one or both of those things, okay? So people want to help. Everybody wants to help because because when you're in there, like like the mad thing was I was in there, right, and I was singing, right, and I was having the crack, and I kind of had me back 
there were there were feeding people and there was people showing up and there was definitely a need for food without a doubt right because people turned up for it right now there was also people there who were opportunists right you know that were uh, you know people who were traveling around the place like you know what I mean or whatever and there was people who were there for company right yeah so but the one thing that I think that held a lot of them together was addiction that's without a doubt right and. I kind of ask myself the question, why is there no addiction services, right? Why aren't we looking at addiction? Why, why is it food? You know what I mean? And is food an easy one? Is it that we turn up and we put out food? There was definitely a need for food. I could see My that. My dad right? was explaining that part to me and he was saying what generally happens is the helpers see hungry, angry, lonely and tired and they want to help that bit. Yeah. I'm not sure how to deal with the other bit. Like me and Martin had a podcast yeah, episode here be. about, you know, would you help a fella who was uh, a drinker or would you help a fella who had a heavier addiction, say, to heroin? You know what I mean? And most people would probably give the drinker a couple of quid, but we wouldn't give the heroin addict 30 quid. You know what I mean? There's yeah. a fella down there, get yourself a couple of cans. So we have this thing with the heavier more complicated end of addiction that we just go, oh, I'm just going to walk away from this because I don't know what the fuck it is. I don't, I don't know what, think, to, what to I do. I don't think an awful, I don't think many people know what to do with addiction. And I think like we all have addictions in our families. There's different levels of addictions and all kinds of, you know, and a lot of us with that experience will realize that we are powerless, you know, so that when one of our family members turns to drink, turns to gambling, turns to, turns the heavier addictions, cocaine or, or heroin or whatever it is, right? Nothing changes unless that person wants to change. And a lot of the time it's down to that person hitting an all-time low in their life and they go, I need to do something about this. And you, you, when you listen to people's experience of addiction, that's what they say, you know? So when you arrive out in the street with a message of recovery or whatever it is, right, uh, you have to be hitting the people when they're ready. You know what I mean? It has to be... And it mightn't be Christmas week when you're singing your carols and hanging, handing out turkey sandwiches. Absolutely. So I get what your man is saying. I don't agree with what your man is saying. You know, I get where he's coming from. You know, there, there's a huge concentration of homelessness in cities. You know, when you go to London... You see it when you go to Glasgow. You see it when you go to Liverpool. Well, it's like foxes it. and pigeons. They'll go where the so field and the, the heat sense, is. Uh, where's, the, where's the sense in them saying, telling people not to give, um, like, you, you you walk on the street, you literally see someone lying there. You don't know if they're dying with the hunger because you can't feel what they're feeling. Um, you can see that they have no clothes, maybe you're no whatever. Mm -hmm. They're on the street, simple as, and they have no sleeping bag or no bag. And... Obviously, if, if if it could be done, you'd encourage them not to be on the street. Fair enough. But how does it make it any better by telling people not to help them? Yeah, I don't know. They're, I mean, saying, I don't they're saying it makes the situation worse. I, I Are you waiting just to leave the, let that person on the... Like, here about... It's about... Yeah, it'll be about three weeks old now, I would say, right? I was in town and it was actually below zero cold. It was freezing cold. And I mean freezing, right? Now, I had a feral hefty jumper on me and a feral hefty coat bit of a hat, well covered up as a fellow would say. And there was this um, this man and woman basically and they were lying literally, when I say on the ground, they were, it was probably even worse again because it was like a pillar where there was a concrete between both pillars and they were sleeping on top of that concrete. Mm. 
and you could literally see the ice in the air. That's how bad. And I want to say the ice, like the, the like frost, mist, yeah. like the mist mm-hmm. in the air. Like you nearly take a coat off your back and give it to them. Be honest about it. For someone in such a in such a high position to be to, to be encouraging people not to help these people. So if if they're encouraging people not to help them, why don't they get out of their offices and go and do the right thing and do encourage uh, no matter what kind of uh, persuading it takes to get them off the street? But I'm sure if they give them some assurance, that probably would work. It's a complicated issue. Uh, and here's an example of how it kind of changed for me a little bit. I was down on the beach and I'd go swimming at the beach all the time. And for most of the year, there's no lifeguards. Yeah, the lifeguards are there for maybe 10 weeks at the absolute maximum. But there's people on the beach and there's water and waves and there's dangers on the beach all year round. And I remember this woman came down one day and she just walked past me, walked down the steps and walked into the sea. And everybody around panicked and ran in after her. You know what I mean? There was about 10 people in trying to drag her out. And I was probably one of them people as well. She just gave up basically, didn't she? She just went, right, it's time for me to check out. Two weeks later, the same woman does exactly the same thing. Yes. She just walks down the stairs and into the sea. And that time I'm like, that's your woman who does the walking into the sea thing. Yeah. She'll come out in about 20 minutes when everyone's not fucking panicking about her. And she'll sit there shivering and we'll call her an ambulance and the ambulance will take her away. You know what I mean? Yes. And for me, sometimes that's kind of a little bit what happens in town with mental health issues and addiction and homelessness. And did she come back out? She did come back out. I didn't leave her in there. She, she didn't die. But the story was, yeah. the very first time you see it, it's a bit fucking weird. Shocking, yeah. The third or fourth time you see it, you go, this is what this is going on here. The lay of the land is different. The next, if you went in carol singing for six nights in a row, you'd see a lot of the same patterns and habits and people, opportunists in one area, genuine people in another area, refugees in another area. It's not as simple as that's a homeless person or that's someone with mental health issues. Mm. It's quite complicated. And it is open for people taking the absolute piss take. And I know that firsthand. No matter how much uh, love and care and attention and room and space you give to people, they'll still take the fucking absolute... Some people will still take the absolute piss while leaving somebody else in genuine need out. So it's not as simple as those poor people at Christmas. That's the baggage that we bring to it. That's our heads going into that situation, you know? And I get what, you know, Owen or whoever it is saying, don't be encouraging people. But also, if someone is standing in the sea or in the middle of the road and they're in fucking immediate danger... The human party is going to kick of in. Of course they're going to help, no matter what. No matter what anyone else And I don't think, I, ge- I genuinely don't think that there is one solution or a solution to this because we have so much trauma uh, issues in this country, you know? Like, we have an awful lot of people with trauma who are in addiction, who are in... Uh, you know, who are in, um, cha- you know, chaotic life, sleeping right. on the street and stuff like well, that. Well, haven't, so. they got, um, haven't they got laws for literally everything? Basically, they have. They have a, a law, more or less, for everything that goes on in their lives, basically. Mm. What's your point? The point is, uh, supposing they brought a law out, look at uh, people were not allowed to sleep on the streets. In other words, like, you're literally you not that, allowed. You have that in Paris, yeah. You're they were trying to bring it in here, actually, about second. three years ago. You're literally not allowed. I'm just thinking this myself here, right? So you're literally not allowed now to be homeless, in other words, right? So now you know 
no matter how hungry or cold you are, no matter how, uh, say, if a person's on drugs or whatever the sense might be, whatever causes them to be on the streets, right? Right. Um, you know there, if you go there, you're going to be arrested. You're going to be brought into a cell, basically. Nice and warm. Yeah, but the thing about the cell is, you have heat, you have toilets and showers, you have food. Um, surely enough, if you ever have a drug habit, they're trying to look after you and maybe help you out that drug habit. So isn't that, um, I know it's, it's by force, basically, but isn't that using one way of letting people know, right, here, okay, then you know you're going to go to jail, simple as, right? So now we have nobody saying... Well, they're there by force. They're, there, uh, they're not there by force, sorry. They're there by choice. Yeah, but you're, what you're doing is you're cr- using criminality or the justice system to deal with a housing and a health issue. Right, oh, absolutely. Is it a crime to, uh, is it a crime to, to, to loiter? Loitering, is loitering a crime? With intent it is, yeah. Right. If, if it's, not not loitering with intent. If you're loitering, <laughs> if you're loitering around... Uh, very good. Say these big government offices or whatever it might be, just say But they can right? move you on, yeah. And they can move you on. So if you come back again, don't move, and and you don't want to move, will they will they arrest you? They will. Yeah, but if you're dealing with homeless people, right? If you're a guard that's dealing with homeless people on a beat, it's what's the you know it's the same thing that Dean's talking about with the woman running into the sea. Yeah. The second or third time, you just say, "Come on, lads, you know, keep moving." As Dean is saying, Martin, right? There's no. If there was an easy answer to this, it'd be done, right? There are hostels in town for you. You know, for people that are full. That people turn up to, right? Yeah, but people don't feel one bit safe in hostels. So they don't want to go to them, right? That's so right. some people prefer to be on the streets. They think it, that's better. Enough people don't prefer to be on the streets, just so we know that. Enough people don't. Pref- enough people prefer to stay in hostels, hotels, B&Bs, and whatever. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like the majority, 95% of all the homeless people in this country are not on the streets. It's a very, very, very small percentage. Yeah. It's 150 people maximum for the whole country, like. Yeah. At Christmas. That's the where the big hullabaloo is, you know. But what I'm saying is is that it's not simple. Like, you know, but the one factor that does connect them all together or the two factors that is mental illness and addiction, you know. And you're and saying the mental the mental illness and addiction come from their community, personal Societal traumas, shit that happens. Yeah, but where's the help for the mental Ill- uh, mental illness side of it, basically? Yeah, where's the help for the addiction side of it? It's probably two separate uh, helps out there. Yeah, but surely enough, they should be able to start somewhere and put, a, as I said, put the foot down here. Look at once and for all, we're going to put an end to this here. Yeah. We're going to actually lift people up, not bring them down. You see, I think there are a lot of places. There are a lot of uh, services available. A lot of it. You know, there are, I think, I think there are services there. Like Fairy Trust and all those places, you know, provide a lot of uh, recovery places. There's, you know, recovery spaces, there's detox spaces, all that kind of stuff, and it's all there. I think the issue with it is it's got to do with getting people when they're ready. You know, when people are ready to make the move, you know, when they're, so a lot of people would be contemplating, I need to get myself together here, I need to get this sorted out, Right. And the contemplation's going on and on and on. Then when they're ready to go... While they're on the streets? Yeah. So I think what's happening now is... Suppose they don't have that frame of mind what happens. I think what's happening... They do. What's happening now is, because I've seen this... There's there's a fella called Paulie T, right? And he used to be on heroin, and then he went and done uh, a boga, that thing that Christy Dignam done. He's from up around Thomas Street area, right? 
and he has these great videos where he goes around and he interviews people who are, you know, on the streets uh, begging generally mental health issues, generally, you know, heavy addiction. And he's talking to this one girl in the latest one and she's a crack addict. She's sitting outside a shop in Thomas Street and she's quite well spoken. She doesn't have all the teeth, but she seems to be really happy. She seems to be happy enough. You know what I mean? And he's going to her, would you not get your shit together? Would you not get your act together? She's like, I'm actually all right. I'm all right on crack. And uh, she goes, for the four, what's changed for me for the first time is I was given a house straight away. I didn't have to get clean in order to get me house. They gave me the house and the coming clean be, can come second. You know what I mean? So they implemented a thing which they have in Finland for years and it's worked really well called housing forced. Now in the last, say, three, four years, it's the first time that they've really been implementing it where they give somebody keys and a contract to their own house, their own apartment, their own place that they can lock the door and you can be on crack and you can do whatever you fucking want to do. You can be depressed. You can have mental health issues. But you have a fucking home. And you have a choice then really to get off the street. Because going to a hostel where there's a load of bleeding antos who want to pull your eyes out for a fucking couple of hundred quid that you owe them yeah, for, for a right. bit of crack, that's just not working for you. Yeah, that's what, like, I mean, and there's another element. Like, you know what I mean? So you have... You have mental illness, you have addiction, you have violence, you have people who are living chaotic lives and are quite willing and happy to live that, that chaotic life, even though they'll probably die in their 30s I or I know middle class people out where I live in Port Marnica who are slaughtering three bottles of wine a night, living chaotically. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And they're grand, but they, they have their own place to stay. Yes. And nobody bats an eyelid. That's it. I mean, there's no doubt in the world that we're we're living in the worst housing crisis you know you know when you have you have councils who are who hand back funding every December for for traveller accommodation because they don't want to build traveller accommodation that's right and then you have you know it's not that they can't it's that they won't you know and a lot of, you know a lot of these you know officials and, and that if you look at the city now you know it's like how many more hotels can we fit into the city, like, you know? Because there's income on hotels. There's It's not got to do with building a city and a framework where people, you know, framing the city in a way that people can live there and people can, can make a few bob there and, you know, all that well, can happen. two hotels in Ballymore and you can't go into a shop to buy a pair of bleeding socks. It's all geared up for the tourists, like, you know what I mean? Do you ever get the socks of a little? The little socks? They're crackers. They're like, <laughs> <laughs> you're some fucking animal. I thought Martin Stokes was bad. Sparky on the little socks. Give yeah. it over you. You've laid in poverty trap. You everything in little. Remember you got the little runners. Or was that me? It was me. <laughs> I got the little runners. They were crackers. The, what was the ones that Willie yeah, we had? The Aldidas. Aldidas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he yeah. had four stripes on them. <laughs> Crazy world, boys. That's what we're living in. I think that's what happens with the homelessness thing is, is that it seems very, we're very powerless, you know, we're very, very powerless with a lot of that stuff, you know. Um, I, you know, I think that, um, I think one of the things is that, that there's a lot of people working in areas, in hostels, in recovery centres, in all that kind of stuff that aren't recognised, you know what I mean? It's like as if, because when we're on the street, we see a lot of, we, we see a lot of homelessness, we tend to blame, oh, well, that must be, 
Leo Varadigar's fault or that must be Owen Keegan's fault or that must be so-and-so's fault where it's very, very complex. I think the whole thing is really, really complex. And there's an awful lot of work and doing really, really good work. I think there's great there's work great being work done. Great work being done. Uh, and and like I fell for that trap as well, and you get kind of very emotional around bleeding Christmas time, and you want to help everybody, and it's freezing cold, and you look out your window and you go, I wouldn't fucking put a dog out on that. How good to be fuckers in O'Connell Street sleeping under a bleeding so uh, a shop window? That's what all the travellers done years ago, about about three years ago. They went around from base to down the town. They brought sleeping bags. They brought bags of food. They literally brought everything they could. For the people that was living on the on the streets, that's Christmas about three years ago, but they done it for like two years in a row at the time, basically. Not last year, but the year before, the the, the third Christmas as we call it, and they brought down um, they brought bags of food to them, brought like shoes, clothes, jumpers, you name it, coats, anything that they could bring. There were twenty lads, and they went all around the whole town with vans. And start to every time, whenever they see somebody literally sleeping on the street, they give them whatever they could, basically. But they've done that for about for about two years, you know, you see, each, uh, each Christmas. There's great people. Ah, me, me, dad, me dad is brilliant. in and around that all the time, and it warms his heart to go in and see it. It breaks his heart as well, because, uh, you know, one of the guys he got to know really well, um, you know, who started a lot of the soup kitcheny kind of stuff, is just in his own spiral of addiction and poverty and homelessness. But he goes in, you know, when his health is good, he'd probably go in three nights a week, helping out, just bleeding, standing at the side of the soup kitchens, helping people with sandwiches and all that. And I think that that's the part of the human miracle. That's, you know, that's um, the part of it that, that I think people can connect with, uh, that you could just do your part. Because for all the jackets and sleeping bags and love that those travellers gave out two years in a row... yeah. What was gained from it, um, and probably the only thing that was gained from it is that for those couple of bleeding hours, those yeah. people were a little bit warmer and a little bit more connected. That's right, absolutely. Do you know where I was, um, it was actually last week, I was driving down, as you come down from, say, Drumcondra, and you head on down by, say, Dorset Street and that. And if you pass down to the St. Dominic's Church on the left-hand side, yeah, St. Saviour's Church, Dominic Street, on the right-hand side, there's a lot of flats there, yeah? Now, they're not big, big flats now. They're set. There's about maybe three, four stories in them, I'd say. Yeah, they're set flats. Or yeah. Spaggy used to walk down that area as a youth right. And literally, almost, not every one of them, but almost every one of them is closed up. Yeah, it's been redeveloped, yeah. Is it been redeveloped or is yeah, it getting yeah. closed up? No, they're going to, I think they're going to knock the flats down, yeah? So they're going to knock them down. Because all them, uh, a lot of them have all shores on the windows and yeah, doors. Gonna, yeah, they're going to regenerate really, that whole. Uh, like, I, was, I, was, I was sort of wondering where all the, where did all the people go to from these flats for starters. Yeah, yeah. But it looked very, uh, very poverty basically. And that's part of the, the kind of the weirdness and the fear around it is that you have people in blocks of flats like that. Ballymun is a great example. They uh, inevitably knock down some of them and then there are people who just never get back to the place where they grew up and, and yeah. all their all their networks and all their connections and all that. That's what I was getting at. Do you know um, what I done then? I went and I looked through the, what do you call it? Do you know, um, is it O'Devany Gardens, is it? Yeah. That's where the flats was as That's well. That's a yeah. huge case of, of like misinformation and corruption and developers greed and all that type of stuff. Yeah, but they closed all them down now as well, yeah? Yeah. And the people were sort of... 
I wouldn't say giving interviews like you know they're having the chats and they were and they were saying they were how happy they were although the place was uh, let's say in ruins if you like and the whole thing was of course getting closed up and stuff and they were moving them out slowly 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 but yet every one of the people that was talking on it as poor as the whole place was they seemed like the happiest people in life I think it was mostly because of the community itself that everybody knew everybody and everybody, most of them was related. Most of them, like, uh, like travellers, again, basically, were in, in our sites, right? They, a lot of them had family around them, like there was, say, people in this flat here and three doors down, maybe a son or a daughter or mm. maybe a mother or someone belonging to them. And they were saying how they were going to miss all of that and some of them already did because some of them was gone out of it. But yeah, I think it was all about the the community spirit. Yeah, you see, I think I've loads of thoughts on it because I watched there was a great film called North Circular Road, and it's well worth going to see. We talked uh, about it on last uh, week's podcast with Donald Fallon. Yeah, you should bring uh, Luke is the guy that made it. Is it? Oh, very good. I'll reach out to. Him. Uh, you should yeah, you should bring him in because he's great. Yeah. And he's, you know, and he'll talk about it. But I remember when we had the flats in Ballymun, and I remember that there was a big uh, campaign to regenerate this area. Like, you know what I mean? Because the flats were, they were built for short term and they were, some of them were falling down and they were, uh, they were hard to heat. It was all getting heated by one central thing. You couldn't control your heat. And then when services went, everybody's services went at once yes. and everybody was like, they want to change. So they asked, they did a survey, and I was part of the survey. I was I was interviewed in in the survey. Out of the people in the flats, ninety eight percent of those people yeah. wanted a house. Ninety eight. Now that's a huge twenty thousand people. No, there wouldn't have been twenty thousand in the flats. There would have been ten thousand in the flats, and ninety eight percent of those people wanted out. Wanted a, not that they wanted out. They wanted a house. And I think in Ireland, lots of people you know, will want, like my sister lives in an apartment. She'd love a house. Yeah. You know? I don't know whether that's got to do with having a bit of garden or whatever it is, but some people seem to want so house. something like that, all right, yeah. So what happened then was, was when the place began to change, I genuinely think that people find change very difficult. You know, and I remember, you know, I remember at the beginning of the regeneration, they were saying, you're going to be living on a building site for the next 10 years. Yes. It happened. We did it. You know, it, it was it was tough. It was tough times, you know. And I think, you know, there was great estates built and there was very poor estates built, you know. And most people got got a house or got, you know, got an apartment or got, you know, whatever it is. The big flaw has always been shops, right? But the problem with this area is it's not got to do with that there's not enough shop units. It's got to do with who wants to do business, in this area if people don't shop in shops. or Yeah, but also if we only rent and our wages are low. You know what I mean? It's not a high-wage area. Yeah. You know what I mean? Less than the, uh, less than the industrial wage is the Ballymun average. Yeah. You know oh, I'd mean? love to see a market in Ballymun once a week. On the, There used to be one on a Thursday. But again, not an awful lot of traders came. And I think a lot of it's got to do with because not an awful lot of people went to spend their money there. We can look through the past with rose-tinted glasses and say, it wasn't a great when we all lived in the flats and all that. It wasn't. It wasn't that great. It actually wasn't. It was, there was definitely positives in 
winter time the 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 flats were heated amazingly. Uh, in the summertime they weren't heated, and there was you know there was some summers that were cold, as in Ireland that happens, uh, and you couldn't control that. There was a, a lot of antisocial around the flats, a lot of it. Do you think there's more antisocial now? Because it feels to me it's a little bit different now. The levels of, let's say, drug dealing or addiction seems to be just more, but maybe it was hidden in the flats. No, I think, look, everything changes, right? And I think, so it's very hard to rob now, right? <laughs> okay, you know, this is, I'm not condoning <laughs> robbing. It's very hard to rob now. Everywhere, look, there's a camera in this room, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, you know, it's very, very hard to rob, you know what I mean? So some people... In uh, in a lot of, in a lot of areas, made their money on you know on the on the rob, right? So the young people would have done that, like I mean, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying, I'm just stating a fact, like you know, it's wrong, but it happened. Oh, it's wrong, but it happened, right? Yeah. But now, drugs seems to have replaced that. So when I was a kid in the eighties, if you took drugs, you were an outcast. So even some people who smoked hash and they would have done it secretly and stuff like that, and they would have been because it was so frowned upon, right? So now we're in 2023 nearly, right? And a lot of people take drugs. I was talking to somebody in Lidl earlier, right? And I was like, what's the story? And they were like, yeah, I'm just back from Amsterdam. And I said, were you in the coffee shops? And they were like, yeah. And it was just real spoken about and there was no shame or no anything about it. Like, you know what I mean? It was like... The stigma and the taboo was gone. A lot of people sniff, do a couple of lines of cocaine. I'm uh, one of the people who has never, I think I've seen it three times in my life. Don't like the smell of it? I don't like the smell of it. I don't, you know, I, I wouldn't be into You've it. never like, tried it. <laughs> probably, probably too mean to actually buy it, like, you know what I mean? But it just wouldn't be in my thing. Uh, alcohol would have been my thing. And even now I don't drink. Uh, so there is a huge appetite for drugs in society today, in this modern society that we live in, which is quite diverse. Huge appetite for drugs, so young people who are who are being educated in an education system that basically prepares people to go into either post warehouses, deliveries, deliveries, yeah, yeah. all that kind of stuff, to IT or whatever. You know, I don't really know. I wouldn't be that well up on what school is delivering people and preparing people for. But in this area, there's not an awful up. There's not a big uptake on third level, that kind of stuff. So some of the people who drop away from that uh, and who are from chaotic, that there's a bit of chaos in their life, sometimes dealing becomes attractive. You know what I mean? And it, like, so when you're 13, 14, you see people with it. Oh, those those lads, they, they seem to have a bit of a, they have a bit of camaraderie. They have a, and it's, you know, I'm saying lads because I think it is mostly lads. And then there's this kind of myth, oh, well, they're making lots of money. So, they will come, they will kind of get groomed into that or become part of that. They're not robbers, they're dealers, right? And then we all know the trappings of that, like, you know what I mean? That you get into, you get into dealing, you're on the lower end of the rung and you got to stand for 16 hours in the same spot. We don't all know that though, because, you know what I mean? We know that because we see it on the streets. You know, we walk in the community, you're a youth walker up in Poppentry. There's a lot of young fellas who are, 14, 15-year-olds who are dealing. Most of the people I've said that to outside of this community are like, I didn't think that that's what it was. Yeah, but we all have mis misunderstandings of... So some people would say, oh, Mountjoy Prison is a 
is a holiday camp. Everybody has tellies in their in their uh, in their cells, but they don't. You know, they're not thinking of the open intravenous drug use, the sanitation. You know, all that kind of stuff. It's not a holiday camp. It's absolutely. I remember, it showed uh, brought a mate of mine, Mark, around Ballymun and Hector as well, and I said to him, "Those are the lads there." And it's a couple of youngsters that we know, uh, 13 years of age, and they're standing there for 12, 14, 16 hours a day. Mm. And all they're doing is... And some of them like that. Some of them yeah, like yeah, the yeah. freedom. Like you say to them, he's into this lifestyle, and they go, yeah, 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 this is great, because they can smoke weed all day, and they can you know, they'll make a few bob, and they'll... Uh, but I'd say to them, what if you want to go on a holiday? No, I can't go on a holiday, because... They're working a phone, you know, they got to work this phone. The phone is theirs. They, they've We're going down the beach for a swim. Do you want to come? Yeah, they won't be able to go. They might be able to go to Keely's and have their dinner or something like that or go off and whatever. Like There might be a few little sweeties during the week, but it will be the same every week. It'll be, you know, that they will be working a lot of, a lot of the time working. Um, there'll be a lot of, um, there'll be a bit of, going for meals and stuff like that and maybe a bit of going out to a rave or something like that, right? At that level, and a lot of them stay at that level because they're involved in active drug taking, mainly weed, they won't progress. And a lot of those people get lost. They get lost. They just get, you know, they kind of disappear into the ether. Some of them will get intelligence, they'll have natural intelligence and they'll start they start making money. They won't take drugs themselves. They might get into a bit of training. They might get into a bit of st- into stuff, and then they will improve. No, I'm not saying improve as in <laughs> their circumstances get any better. Yeah, I mean they will still want to remain in a council house. They will still want to be able to collect the dough. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So it's not it's not a great lifestyle choice. It's not a great career choice, you know. But for some people. It is the only choice, which is sad. Tell me something. What do you think of um, Dublin at Christmas times? Dublin, the city centre, basically. Yeah, I I used to really enjoy going around it and seeing all the lights and all that type of stuff. And Dublin City Council, you know, put on big light shows at Customs House and all that type of stuff. But walking around it, there's kind of this thing in the tale is you see an awful lot of what we're talking about the drug dealing and the poverty I can't walk through Dublin town with one eye open looking at lights and listening to carol singers and the other eye open ignoring bleeding the stench of the city falling apart around you yeah but it also says there's some good things about it too like isn't there it is a lovely a lovely city in, in the Christmas times I've often drove Driven through it, like up and down. Yeah, what about the Christmas, Martin? He loves a bit of bleak Christmas. He wanted to do a whole Christmas episode. No, it's not even about that. I think it's something to do with um, Dublin is a lovely city at any time, I guess. I think there's something that livens the whole place up. I think we live in one of the best places in the world, right? Dublin. Dublin. Well, it's just in, yeah, we live in Dublin, we live in Ireland. It rains. I think it's, we're probably living in, now I know there's a, a war in Ukraine and stuff like that, but in Dublin, it's probably one of the most safest times on earth. We're living now, really, yes. you know, when you think about it. And, you know, in Dublin now, uh, young people who are leaving school have access to jobs. The, the jobs they're getting, as I said, I mentioned earlier, are warehouses and stuff like that. And, you know, there's not an awful lot of apprenticeships or there's not an awful lot of scope to kind of 
go and make some really, really good money. There are opportunities for people and there are a few bob to be made so that people can live. The, the problem with the city is, is that you can't get into the property market. Like, you yes. know what I mean? So a lot of people are moving out of the city. A lot of young people are moving out of the city, actually. To answer your question, Martin, there is a great city. I know you have been around Dublin the last couple of nights, actually. Uh, I got a, a hankering for falafels, right? <laughs> I got this, I went into this place on Dame Street and I bought a falafel, I had a falafel just before Christmas. And the whole Christmas, I was thinking, I have to get back in there. And I went back in yesterday. But I have been around the town. And there is a great buzz in the town. It is a great city. They enjoy it. There is a bit of ho there's homelessness. In it. But that's not the only thing that's going on. And you're right, the city looks well. You know, I think, again, looking back, the city didn't always look well in the 80s and the 90s. It didn't look no. great. Like, you know what I mean? It wasn't... I think we live in a very cosmopolitan city. We live in a very diverse, there's a, a whole lot of, it's not just uh, white, Catholic, Irish people in the city. We have a huge you know, diversity of people in the city. And I love it. I have to yeah. say, I absolutely love it. I love yeah, it. I think, I think uh, the fact that it's all lit up at Christmas time is that it literally livels the place up. Somehow yeah. it just brings people there, right, doesn't it? And there's something nice. Uh, there's nice about that. There's something magical about. I've about often driven, around, driven, driven in and out around it now at this time of the year, sort of. And you see so many people on the streets, but there's something nice about it, whatever it is. Yeah, no, I, 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 I do like the lights. I went shopping, which is not something I regularly do because I'm just not mad about shopping centres anymore. I used to love them. I'd be in and out of fifty shops, played morning, noon, and night. But now, if I can get into two or three shops. Over the Christmas, I'm laughing, but I went up to the Swords Pavilions and I went in and I got that vibe that you're talking about. Just people busy and happy and milling lovely around. feeling, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's nice, yeah. It's lovely. And um, I spent the Christmas in the Canary Islands, went surfing with me mate, and the same vibe and energy wasn't really there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that Dublin Christmas vibe is, it's really nice. You know what I mean? A couple of jars, a couple of gigs, walk home. around, see the lights, get some presents. Home sweet home. Home sweet home, <laughs> I love it. And I, I went away on Christmas and I and I didn't like it, you know? Even though it was the place I went to celebrate Christmas, you know? Um, it wasn't like, you know, what you were saying about, about going to Canary Islands, but I'm, I'm not saying they didn't celebrate it there, but the place I went to had snow and... Was had a Christmas for you, but it wasn't the same as here, you know. And I get what Martin's saying. There is there is something nice about the town around Christmas, you know. I used to be one of those people that Martin's talking about that was just waiting for it to be over, you know. I actually enjoyed this Christmas. Now, my mother was taken into hospital, uh, Stephen's to stay, but even the run up to that was great. The, yes. the family coming together. All that stuff was great, you know. It's yeah, deadly. Something nice there is, there is something about that that people will make will make that extra effort. Yeah. Well, in a sense, in a sense, it's priceless. Uh, Dean told me there that it was about a week and a half. When I was a how long were you? How long were you on? You gone about a week, were you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, when he told me he was going first, I couldn't believe he was actually going somewhere else on Christmas. I wouldn't go to the best country in the world if there was one. And I've got all my tickets. You're in everything. the best country to watch. Oh, yeah, I know. I said, if there was one, there's one better than this. <laughs> <laughs> there's not many better than this. No. And that's what Sparky's saying as well. I, it's a great um, leading country. I wouldn't take a free holiday and all-inclusive for to go anywhere on Christmas. Never. Even though all the family were sick and all that over the Christmas. Oh, here, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, nearly most of them had the flu. I think half of the country had the flu, to be honest yeah. about it. 
But no, it was still a brilliant Christmas, absolutely, yeah. Peace and, you know what I mean, everyone kind Would of... Would you think uh, of opening a Christmas shop, right, and you could have Christmas all year round? I wouldn't like that, believe it or not. Because I wouldn't look forward to it as much as I wanted because I'd have it every day. Because you're being selfish. Because it'd be getting it's not about you, it's about everyone else. Yeah, that's right. But you'd get bored of it as well, wouldn't you? <laughs> so what I'll do is I'll let, I'll let Dean open up the shop <laughs> and uh, then I won't... And you just turn up at the you know, Then I won't be selfish. Man, you could be the first traveller Santa Claus and yeah. you could dress up, nobody would know it's you. You could no, sing all the ballads. No, I was tagging the, the girls the other day about... Um, they're talking about Santa Claus. I said, if you had to get me a suit, I said, I would have dressed up for, for the grandkids. <laughs> have, you ever done, have you ever done Santa? Never done Ah, oh, yeah, next year, because you're, 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 you have to wait for it. You, you almost have all the grey for Body it. shaming, you know what? Uh, no, I'm not going to announce that right now, Dean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get Martin across to a couple of gigs. Stay with MC. Who else? Uh, your mate, Mick. Oh, Brian the Druids. You love the, the Druids. Druids. Yeah. Love the he was asking me, where do I go and where do I book the tickets for these types of gigs? You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I was saying Dempsey and Maverick, but I think more I, trad stuff. I think, like, so there's the Wolf Towns are still going, are still out there. There's a band called the Mary Wallopers that you have to have a listen to them first. But a couple of years ago, I went to see the Wolf Towns. It was actually before the... Before COVID. Yeah, but I back out. But yeah, I'd like to go and see Damien Dempsey. He's a massive music fan. Like, he... He has like an encyclopedic knowledge of uh, UB40. Like more than, like my brother Eric's into UB40, but he wiped the floor with him. Uh, <laughs> hanging out with Blade and Ali Campbell and all in, in Birmingham. Deadly, yeah. great band. Yeah, Savage history, band. like, and it's very, very sad. I think, I think three of them passed away. Didn't That's they? right, two of them. So there's a few things that I have ideas for that I just want to get your feedback on because we were talking about this for a couple of weeks, but we never done it, which is like a campfire vibe, outdoor, at night, bit of a fire. Just a bit of bleeding, uh, bit of music, bit of, music, bit of conversation, couple, couple of cups of tea, some travellers, some settled fellas. What about the women? What about the women? Slagging each other. We can bring other. one each. <laughs> slagging each other. Slagging a bit of vibing. Yeah, a bit uh, of crack. Vibing and, ve and vexing. Martin's mad for it, but when I, when I turn the microphone on here, he just, he dries no, up. No, I think it's something to do with, um, probably something to do with the weather and the time of the year and all that. There's a time for everything, you know that. Patience, patience always. Uh, what did I say? Patience is a virtue. I was at one of them nights that sort of I was down in John Connor's camp. One night we went down. Mick O'Brien was there from the Druids, and we had a, we had a great old fire. John's grandmother is some woman for lighting fires. She, yes, she right. Started her off with a piece of cardboard, and next thing we had a big blazer of a fire. She yeah, brilliant. Like, you know? <laughs> Good. And uh, but there was something magical about it. There was something magical about being in the centre and it was surrounded by trailers and just you just know, that lovely warm feeling it was, it? It, was, it was different it was definitely different and there was a guy called Joe Strummer who was a singer with The Clash you probably remember him Martin but uh, he taught fire was a great way to get people to come together you know and he was always taught and, he, and towards the end of his life and he died quite young actually I think he died in his 50s but he uh he used to have those kind of powwow things where he would, he would, he would on a piece of waste ground he would invite people, and he'd build a fire, and he'd ask people to come. It transports you, you know what I mean. No matter where you are in your head, everyone gets transported to exactly yeah, the same place. Yeah, drawn, drawn you know the I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I think it'd be great. Sparky's a, a, a great. Um, Singer can play the old guitar and all. Oh, which is there he goes, yeah. One of the things that Martin's trying to do is get in here or somewhere like this and record a couple of songs. But I don't play the guitar, you know what I mean? He's an amazing singer, but 
and I think that that's what we're going to do this year. Is and would you record. see yourself? Would you sing on the stage in the access if you were, if you had a good band behind you? Would you do it? Yeah, like the, I, I wouldn't. I'm not saying I can't sing anyway. Dean thinks I can sing, but he's very yeah, bleeding shy of singing. Sparky, but he, would you like to get up on? I wouldn't. I wouldn't cast me at all singing on. He's, on, uh, he's as good a singer as you. I have, I have a plan. I have a plan. Sparky, he's as good a singer as you, and you're a very good singer. You're, well, you're, you're you know what you are. You're the uh, the crack singer. You'll get the whole room up. I've seen you in rooms with musicians who've had years of experience and you go, I'm going to show you the song to do here and you just get up and you'd go clatter and people would be gobsmacked. Well, that's the vibe, Master. That's good. Yeah, that's, 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 that's the vibe. That, that's a good DJ. I was saying to Martin earlier, you know, you have you have DJs that will, they will take requests from people and they just throw out what people in the room want but you have people who will read the room and say, right, what's going to fit here? Like, you know, I'd love to know more songs. That's what I would. I'd love to learn more songs. The only way you're doing it is to fucking sing them, isn't it? It's to get around other people and bleed and sing them. Try them. I, I know there's about a lot of um, a lot of singers now, and I haven't noticed. Say for years, I wouldn't have noticed that, but I noticed it lately now in a lot of uh, a lot of singers that they have this. Uh, they, literally, they literally have the script there in front of them, like yeah, was as a kind of a reminder, even when they know the songs. Yes, they have them on a on a laptop there. Yeah, yeah. Or they'd have just a printed sheet of a sheet. Even the sheet. When I was learning guitar with you, I'd have the printed sheet of the songs that you'd give me, and mm. I'd go right. We're, we're going to do black as the color. Okay, here we go. Oh, yeah, there are different people with different. So some people will need to read will need to read it on a page and follow it. Some people will know thousand songs that you know without even uh, they're just there in their brain. That's it's it. Just there in their brain, and, and they'll remember them, and they'll you know they'll play. That's them. the way you are for me. You would know fifty. Cracking songs, and you'd start playing three of them, I and wish then you go. Remember them now. I'll get one in now. Bang. Songs are like jokes. I start telling jokes. When you start telling jokes, then and somebody else tells a joke, I remember a joke. So songs are a bit like that as well. Yeah, but strange enough, someone mentions a song to you, like yeah, it's it's actually you could you could know fifty songs. What's the back? I done one. But up the, the M one. Good traveling up the M one. What's it? In yeah. the old Hoyes van or in the bleeding, she had. Uh, this is what I was saying, Spike. So I was getting that now. Is that you might know fifty songs, but someone asks you about a song, you can't. You might remember one. That's what so Dean just uh, Dean just answered the question there I'm now. Saying there with jokes. He said to you, "What's the pecker done one?" Yeah, you couldn't think of it. So no, even I know, though you I know them, think it, it's it, it, he sings it to um, "In a Neat Little Town." They call Belfast. Good song. Yeah. So he sings it to to the air of that but it's about his old Morris fan you know oh, and right, her yeah. eyes they sh- her lights but they shone that like tune, a diamond in the back I had an old bag of straw yes and it wasn't the text that held me back each night I ran up the, the M1, M1. <laughs> one, yes. he was some man the pecker <laughs> oh, wasn't he yeah. he was some man the pecker he was unique he helped a lot of people yeah there you go we have some ex- the three of us we have some experience in in this community you know um there's years and years of experience there and there's years of wisdom. I started doing youth work first. My thought of what youth work was is not what my thought of, of what it is now, you know? And I'm sure, you know, you're saying you have grandkids now, like, you know what I mean? I'm sure you're able to pass on knowledge and wisdom and understanding to your kids about their kids, you know what I mean? That's right. And I just hope that there are young people now that, from this area who start who want to do what we did and do it with the same uh, interest and vigor you know what I mean like how many of, of us were, were doing it in the 80s it was probably a more generous community spirit but I have found 
like doing the health and fitness festival for the last three or four years, if you just pour a bit of paraffin on the fire, on the embers, it's still there. You know what I mean? And from doing this podcast, if you just turn up, turn the microphones on and record it and get it done, like there's young travellers that have talked that have told me they mightn't tell Martin, but that they listen to this, uh, you know, at night instead of the spliff that they used to smoke. You know what I mean? At yeah. night as a sleeper, something for two hours to listen to. Oh, I remember the one you were talking about, the fella and the thing, and it was great, and the pecker dung came up, and da-da-da-da-da. There's beautiful wisdom being handed down. So we don't even realise we're bleeding doing it. But we need to hear their voices as well, and we need, to, we need to give them a voice. So when we talk about community work or community youth work, one of the big words that comes up is empowerment. And it's kind of, how do you do that? Like, I mean, how do we empower young people to make us redundant? You know what I mean? To make, so that we, we become obsolete, you know what I mean? And they become... Powerful. I see myself retiring out in the back of Leitrim or something like that, you know what I mean, and chilling out, and that's that's what I see as my future, you know. Probably sounds like a very lonely existence, but... Sounds lovely to me. But I would love to see the type of work that we have been doing, the three of us, continuing. You know, within, within, the, within the traveling community is a very, very tight-knit family system, you know what I mean, that's very, very important and very... Within Ballymun... There is a very tight-knit community, you know. You hear about the negatives all the time. And like you even saying there about Dublin's a great place to be. Ballymun's a great place to be, you know. And I know people who live in other communities, which will be much more wealthy, who don't know who their next-door neighbours are. and never knew who they were, but they'd know them to see and give them a wave or whatever like that kind of stuff. But there's no sense of closeness or of community or of uh, fellowship or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, we know? talked about that where, uh, more or less where Dean lives, is that right, Dean? Yeah, it's not great there at all. You have to pay people to give you a smile, basically. Is that right, Dean? Well, look, that's their own medicine, whatever. On I, I, I work in Ballymun and one of the highlights of my year was doing the Ballymun Summit. And then at Christmas, I went down the links and I got a mate of mine to come down and play a couple of ballads. Uh, we done bingo, we had a bit of crack, and I'm telling you now, there was something magical in doing that. The simplest, simplest things is just sitting around and slagging a load of elves and helpless who are in the last, you know, couple of years of their lives and having that crack with them. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Like, I mean, I think there's a lot going on in this area. Um, you know, if you look at the, the Facebook pages and all that kind of stuff, it will be all about what's wrong. But there's an awful lot right. You know, there's an awful lot right in this area. But I think what happens to us is is that if we, you know, using driving as a metaphor, if we come up to a T-junction and you look left and you look at your gratitude list of, well, I have a place to live and I have a car and I have family and I have my grandkids and I have, you know, you look down that road and you look, you look to the right and you see uh, there's no shops or there's this, you know, all the negative, we tend to drive right, we tend to drive into that, we tend to occupy ourselves in our mind. Uh, and our thoughts and our energy into the negative. It's kind of part of the narrative that we've grown up around is to moan and to give out. You know, like even even the thing you were saying there about the homeless thing, you know, the headline is, this fella says, don't do that. Like, you know what I mean? The reality is people will do that, whether he says it, yeah, absolutely. Yay. The positive thing is, is that there is a huge, huge community of people who work in hostels and who work in different places who work in addiction services, working on that kind of stuff. Every single day of the week, all that stuff was going on. The stuff going down the links is happening. The stuff that's happening with the travellers is happening. All, all happening, all happening, all happening. We tend to focus on the negative. And I think if we can, you know, in some way, look at the look at the gratitude 
a bit more, you know what I mean? And even to look back on that day and say, well, what was positive that happened today? Well, the car started. That's <laughs> right. I mean? yeah. There was petrol in the car. We turned up into a studio and recorded a two-hour podcast with two fellas. Well, who hopefully fucking, that who, thing is plugged in. I think it is. With two fellas who <laughs> I adore, who I, la- who I like hanging out with. Who I, who, if I could hang out with more, I'd lead and I would. That, for me, is, is where I'm at. It's just turning up and doing whatever the thing is to be done is what I've learned over, you know, the last 40 years from you from people that I've got to know through you, like um, Darren Nolan. It's his birthday today. Big up, Darren, my old pal. Darren wants up Nolan. Oh, him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's his oh, birthday today. Yeah. He passed oh, away, sadly, last year. He passed away. He lived, he, lived, he, lived, he lived a good life, and he hung around with myself and Sparky for about a oh, year or so him. before he passed, which was really nice. Getting out swimming and talking and... So we had him out on a bleeding surfboard and all that, and facing his uh, facing his I addiction. I didn't exactly know him, but I heard a lot about him. Though. Yeah, he came up with the phrase that we use for the Ballymun Health and Fitness Festival, which is "Get it done, Ballymun." And if it can come from a man like that, I think that that's the bleeding mantra. He Get was it super done. intelligent. Darren yeah. was super super intelligent. He was absolutely unreal in the stuff that he would come out with, like you know. The other fella who I was thinking about, I just remembered his name, was Lunatic. The fella's face that I used to see on every other man's face. Oh, yeah. Was, uh, me and Sparky had a really cl- close mate, uh, Daniel McDonald. He was a rapper. Uh, he was performing with Damo Dempsey a couple of times. But he was super intelligent. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Yup, the Lunatic. Yup, the ones up, Darden Nolan. And yeah, come here, there's loads. Look, there's, there's loads. loads of John of, Duffy you brought up there as well. Yeah, there's loads. Of, yeah, John was, was very naturally intelligent. Um, we seem to be just talking about people that do it, but there's loads of people in this area who are naturally gifted, naturally intelligent, and who are doing great stuff. You know what I mean? So how do we encourage that? How do we, how do we give those people a platform and a voice? I think one of the ways of doing it is by just doing it like this. For the whole of COVID, I thought about doing a podcast, but I didn't do the fucking thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then one day, we just turned up here well, it seemed and to be pressed everybody record. Was, everybody was doing Yeah, podcasts. but we just done, we done whatever. We done a thing. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like Martin, he's been saying to me for the last six, six months, is there a group that I can get involved in, in the community that will, that I can do some things? And yes, there is. There's fucking loads of them. And, and, and if there isn't, set it up and, and do it. Get it done. And, you know, Martin was asking me, did I, did I listen to the you know, I've only recently, very recently started sitting down and listening to podcasts, you know. Um, and I think it's got to do with, I've kind of shied away from the BBCs and all those stations on the telly. And at night time, I throw on YouTube. And what I'm finding, what I'm doing more now is, is that I'll throw on a podcast, you know, and I'll have a listen. It's time well spent, you know, and um, it's, they're different. You know what I mean? It is different. There's a dude that it was one of our first guests on, Jeff O'Toole, and he had never listened to a podcast. He just listens to... CDs, you know what I mean? 1980s yeah. music on yeah. the bus over f- uh, from Tallaght to Ballymun three or four days a week. We got him on as a guest. That's right. He started listening to the podcast. He knows me, but he got to know Martin a little bit more. And he's on to me every week going, I'm listening to this podcast. I listen to your woman. I listen to your man. I listen to that one about crime. I listen to another one about bleeding. And there's one thing that I want to say to you, right? I think we have to get young people onto this podcast or create a podcast for Ballymun young people. Well, the equipment is here, the expertise is here, the only thing that we don't have is doing it. Uh, so I'm willing, uh, for my part, is to do whatever I And it doesn't have to be, the same. Br- it bring to have the, to be the same young people. It can be different young people with different, sto- you know, different stuff going on. 
we're listening to young people all the time and, and, and we get the benefit from it, like, you know what I mean? And I think if they can get their voices out there a bit and become a bit more confident about their story, it's deadly. You yeah, know? and there's nothing to it. It's dead easy. So if there's any young people out there, any anybody whatsoever wants to get in touch with myself or Sparky or Martin about doing a podcast, we're so easy to contact us. Instagram, bleeding, knock on our door, whatever. Just jump on the wagon, basically. Jump on the wagon. So what's that? That's number 29 now, is it? That's 29. Episode 29. And we just want to say again, uh, thanks very much to Sparky for coming on today. Thanks for inviting me, guys. Right. I really enjoyed it, I have to say. And let's do a bleeding uh, campfire sing song cha soon yeah let's do it that could be the live podcast team yeah yeah we've done, we've done a live with Lynn Rowan and the Axis but it could be I think we need to do one of those ones the campfire live <laughs> do a do a live one around the, around the campfire because it'll put a bit of spark to the podcast you know what I mean? bit of sparky <laughs> hey episode 29 a traveller and a country man that's us for this episode a traveller and a countryman podcast if you like it let us know share it around and uh, we'll see you on the road <laughs>